But what I'm talking about is a mom of a trans youth who's just now 13. It was more my transition. I don't need to right. um, gender everything he does. I don't need to say she. I can actually say he quite easily. <laughs> and he's, a ha- he's yeah. happier for it because it aligns, like you said, with his soul, with his spirit. Right. And also gender scientifically happens in the brain. It's a brain activity. I'm Ilaria Baldwin. And I'm Alec Baldwin. And this is our podcast, What's One More? And on today's episode, we want to learn more about gender identity and how it relates to parenting, children, and families that have questions about gender. Our guest today is Jody Patterson. She's the author of 2019's The Bold World, a memoir of family and transformation. And she's also the chair of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation Board, the country's largest LGBTQAI plus organization. Her new book is titled Born Ready, the true story of a boy named Penelope. Here's our conversation with Jody Patterson. Give us a little bit of a framework, a brief background about how you became a, an advocate for LGBTQAI+. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a mother first. I'm not a politician. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm a mother of five children. And so my um, life has been very much directed by my children. People say, you can't live through your children. And I say, you haven't been a mother. So when you become a mother in particular of multiple kids and kids who are different, your life expands. 10 years ago, I didn't even know what transgender meant. 10 years ago, I was not a part of the LGBTQAI plus community. I wasn't against it, but I wasn't standing arm in arm with that community. And then about eight, nine years ago, my three-year-old said to me, mama, I'm not a girl. I am a boy. It confused me completely. And I had seen in that child whom we named Penelope, um, the first two years were very dark. So Penelope was born healthy. Um, By the first year, Penelope was crying incessantly. By the second year, reoccurring nightmares, biting nails until bloody, protest around getting dressed, around brushing hair, even brushing teeth. And then Penelope became a bully like pushing siblings and pushing friends at the playground, really just a, the kids you don't want to be around as a, you know, as a, someone looking in from the outside. And so as a mom, I was always trying to fix that scenario, trying to fix Penelope. Maybe it's, maybe Penelope needs more naps, longer naps. Maybe Penelope needs more love. Maybe like I'm a busy mom. I have to spend more time with Penelope. I thought maybe it's um, a dairy allergy. <laughs> I thought maybe Penelope was like allergic to dairy. So I was trying so many different things to fix um, what I thought was like an unhappy child and nothing was working at all. And Penelope was getting darker and more angry and, and sadder. And then when I asked Penelope, baby, what's really wrong? Why are you so angry all the time? It was the first time I'd asked. Penelope said, well, mama, because everyone thinks I'm a girl and I'm not, I'm a boy. So that stopped me in my tracks. Um, And I was sitting down and we sat for about an hour and Penelope said, I don't want to be you, mama. I love you. I want to be papa. Penelope said, you know, the monster is coming to get me every night, mama. And I don't want to wake up because tomorrow I'm going to look like you. And so these are things I just sort of held close to my heart for a year because I didn't really know how to communicate that with people. And uh, over time, I reeducated myself. I listened. I learned. I joined new communities. I joined organizations. And I gained the information to understand my kid in a way I'd never understood before. So Penelope, who now goes by Penel, is transgender. 
And that's what got me into activism in this form. Now, your first instinct, was it of acceptance or was there a fear? Well, I'll say this. It was a lot of everything. I mean, when he said to me, I am a boy, I thought, well, here I have a feminist. (laughs) You know, here's a maybe a lesbian. I thought, here's um, a tough girl who wants to be seen as tough. You know, all the things that would go through the mind of the person I was then went through it. And I thought everything that wasn't trans. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, never exactly never landed on trans. It just wasn't in my vocabulary. I don't, don't even think I knew of any, anyone that was trans that I knew of. So I was thinking lesbian, tough girl, you know, tomboy, um, maybe a lawyer. I don't know, like something like, right. right, right. So, um, so I, I felt ashamed. So when I said, okay, it's okay to be like your brothers and Pinnell said, no, I'm not like a boy. I am a boy. I felt ashamed for not understanding. I felt scared because I knew that Pinnell was different. And I thought maybe this would be a death sentence. This is all in like split seconds. I thought maybe not only would the child die, but the family would be Mm -hmm. threatened our lives. Um, I thought I had failed as a mom (laughs) to raise a proud girl. And I come from a line of activists. You know, my grandmother was a civil rights activist. My grand, my uncle wrote The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. His name is Gil Scott Heron, like legendary um, folks who changed laws and gone against the status quo. And here I have a kid in my mind who doesn't want to be a woman. You know, I thought, oh, I've, I've dropped the ball on feminism. Of course, that wasn't the case, <laughs> but that's what I thought. How did you come around to that this was an issue of trans and how did you come around to the point where it wasn't something that you have done it wasn't something bad and it was something that was good and something where you had to take your child's hand and and walk with him that's a big leap right to go from i failed yeah life could be really dangerous to this is beautiful and it took yeah. um time it took a new community i had to go and find people that resembled my son. I had to go find parents that were going through the same experience or similar experience. I had to go and ask for the help of the LGBT community. Otherwise I would have lost my kid. So like I didn't, (laughs) it was, you know, when you're up against the idea of losing your kid, some things that seem very hard become very easy. So going to a new community and asking for help was pretty darn, was the easier side than the dark side. The first time I noticed that Pinnell was different was, I mean, maybe six months. And I don't mean different in like, it wasn't a learning difference. It wasn't a physical difference. It was a response to the way I was interacting with him at the time. This, what I thought was child, girl, child. So refusing to get dressed, refusing to, for me to touch the baby, the body, diaper changing was horrific. And I've had, you know, I have five children. I know this experience, but I had to actually call in the backup of my husband to help me hold Pinnell's body while we changed the diaper. There was a physical response to touch and there was... Pinnell is where in the order of your children? Pinnell is number three out of five. Right. The middle child. Yeah. Middle child. Of the Mm -hmm. five, yeah. So I had some experience. I knew there was more to learn, but, you know, so like refusal to get dressed, stomping on dresses, you know, throwing away the Mary Janes. Um, even toothbrushes that had, I, you know, I bought princess toothbrushes for my daughters and I had superhero toothbrushes for my sons, just tossing those toothbrushes out of the way, grabbing the brothers. The book that you have um, behind you that you wrote, Born Ready, 
this is a, a concept that I think all of us are we're coming to. And what I'm coming to right now is this idea that you talk about, about being born ready. And then we use the word trans, transitioning. There's a moment that you're a girl and then you become a boy. But this, I'm, it's kind of coming to me right now, this idea that, well, you always were that way. And it was just allowing the world and certain features that you might have to transition. But who you are, your soul, your inside, that is what is a boy the entire time. I mean, I'm, I know I'm stumbling because I no, you, am not well-versed in all of these words. But it's just that's that when you just said that before, because I was trying very carefully. I mean, these are like the uncomfortable conversations because you never want to like upset somebody. You want to be, you want to get it right, but you just don't know how. You know, I was trying to say, okay, there was a moment you were this and, and then you became that. that. Right. And potentially that's one of the biggest problems that we have with understanding this whole thing is that we're so focused on the anatomy. Yeah. And not on the soul. So you, you nailed it because, and I, look, I'm only going to speak from the experiences that I have witnessed. And that's my job is to show you what I know, this little bit of the world that I know to be true. And I'm sure right. there's like a gazillion other examples of stuff I don't even understand yet. But the world that I know, Pinnell came to me as this baby, this spirit. It's exa exactly the same person I'm raising now. I didn't do any magic right. on Pinnell. The doctors haven't done any magic on Pinnell. Um, what we have done is he wears jeans and basketball shorts. Um, his name is now Pinnell, not Penelope. And he wears his hair really short <laughs> in a mohawk. So those around Pinnell have transitioned. We right. have changed our language. We use a different pronoun. We have unfortunately or fortunately treated him differently because he's a, a boy like He because of his identity. So I want to say that early on, particularly trans kids, there's not much happening other than the people around them changing their attitude towards those children. But I also know a lot of trans adults who have transitioned, as we call it, as older people. And that's a different story. Right. Some of that is about um, hormone therapy. Some of that is about doctors, you know, body uh, transformations. But what I'm talking about is a mom of a trans youth who's just now 13. It was more my transition. I don't need to right. um, gender everything he does. I don't need to say she. I can actually say he quite easily. <laughs> and he's, a ha he's yeah. happier for it because it aligns, like you said, with his soul, with his spirit. Right. And also gender scientifically happens in the brain. It's a brain activity. You got a big family. Five kids is a lot. When Pinnell mm -hmm. said and articulated the clearly, I'm a boy, how old was everybody else? So Julia, Were they all little kids? Yeah, I have... Um, so if Pinnell is 13 now, I have a, so if Pinnell was three, Georgia was 13. Um, and then there was a, the oldest one, the yeah, oldest. Yeah. 13. And then there was a um, five-year-old and then there was a one-year-old. So That's I had four. from, I have a one and then Pinnell was three. Then brother was five. Then sister was 13. So you have five or four? And no, then I have five. And then I have an adopted, oh, have another one. I have an adopted child. There you go. Oh, I see. So I didn't birth that one. How did they react? The kids, how did they react? So many different ways. So, right. and this is like an example of the world. I have one son who does not believe that trans existence is a reality. He doesn't believe in the science behind it. He doesn't believe that transgender is a scientific reality. He thinks it's a choice and a strange choice. And he's always felt that way. He just doesn't believe it in the way that I know. He's older, older he's, than- he's the, uh, he's the one that's a couple of years older. So he, said, he says- right. At the time, he said, Penelope, you can't just 
decide to be a boy. You have to be born a boy. Now, I know that the science uh, proves gender diversity because I've studied it. I work with Mount Sinai very closely, the transgender department. But this is my child also who does not believe it to be scientifically proven. And guess what? (laughs) We did not split apart as a family. We still have dinner together every night. So we have a lot of friends who have come to us um, and very, you know, hush, hush. They're nervous about it. They're concerned that their children are somewhere in a process of at least articulating these things. And um, I think one of the biggest fears that I'm hearing is, what is the world going to think? And how can I protect my child through something where a lot of times that we want to protect by keeping them in, which don't say that, don't say that, you know, don't tell people because you're not, you're, it's not going to be okay for you. They're going to go after you. What would you say to parents who have had some of these conversations or suspect certain things are happening with their kids in terms of gender identity, um, in terms of protecting their kids and their fears of taking care of them? I understand it completely. I mean, I had nightmares and in every reoccurring nightmare, I had Penelope under one arm and I was swimming across oceans, you know, fighting against monsters. I mean, it was a physical, me and Penelope against the world, right? All the time. So I understand that concept that as a parent, you want to protect your kid Mm. from being different because different is dangerous. A hundred plus trans people were murdered. There are 250 anti-LGBT bills up for grabs right now. So yeah, we don't want our kids to be in danger, endangered. That fear will eat you alive as a parent. It will make you um, useless to your children. (laughs) It will tear apart your family. And you as a woman, as a mother, will shrivel up. And and I know because that happened to me. And then you have to come out of that fear and put that fear into action. And that's why I became an advocate. That energy, that fear is energy. And I put that into advocacy. And I work for um, every day for the rights of not only my kid, but millions of people. I became the chair. Um, of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation Board, which is our largest LGBT organization in the world, the Human Rights Campaign. I put that fear, which is valid, towards something. So what I say is, I know you. I know that fear. I get it. Do something with it. What would you say to parents who don't take what their children say seriously and say, oh, it's a face, just like you wanted to have your mohawk or just like you wanted to, you know, wear this color every single day. We, you know, we have a child who has worn pajamas for the past three years. You know what I mean? Like, how how do you get parents to take this conversation seriously? Especially when people are starting to say it's a fad. It's the cool thing to do. Well, I look, you know, and there's so many places to enter that conversation, but I'll say, start with this, um, what I believe, which is when your kid is saying something consistently for a year, we look at it, we examine it. I don't move quickly and I don't um, get overly excited by much. As a parent, a mother of five, I'm pretty, you know, even tempered, temper tantrums, right. they don't phase me. But when your kid is saying something <laughs> consistently for a year, and when you see signs of what looks like disruption or anger, you have to take that seriously. And when your kid says, I right. don't want tomorrow to come. So verbalizing suicide, even in a childlike manner, I don't want to wake up tomorrow, mama. Um, Verbalizing hostility, hitting kids, hitting himself or herself, uh, disruption. These things we think of as like annoyances when you're raising multiple kids, knocking over the blocks or fighting. But when you 
step back and it is your parental duty to step back and take a real look at it from a bird's eye view. What's happening here? Is there violence? Is there destruction? Is there anger that's building? You have to address that. And I think a lot of parents get caught up into task mastering, especially moms. We do that all the time. We task master. But what I look at as a mother, I've reassigned myself beyond task mastering. It is my job to pull out the deeper meaning of my children, to puzzle that out and then to share that with the world. If I see disruption, I'm not like thinking this is annoying. I'm thinking, what does this mean? Because in today's times, it means something. So, you know, I say to parents, look for the deeper meaning, look for the reoccurring signs, take a a minute, a breather and get the deeper meaning. There's something there. This is really one of the most controversial and one of the most sensitive topics that's out there today. What are the, some of the negative experiences you've had to deal with in terms of other people's lack of understanding? What are some of the things you've had to endure to, uh, in this experience? I was just talking about this um, yesterday with a brand who wanted to hire me for work, and it, gave, it would give, give me even more um, exposure as an LGBT trans activist. What ends up happening with all of the visibility is you're more, more vulnerable. And that comes in the form of um, criticism to my parenting, you know, that I have um, given into white, rich indulgences. So they've called me a white mom, if that makes any sense to you. I don't know. Like they thought black people don't have time to dwell in this silliness. What rich white people do, so they've discredited right, right, my right. race. My race, right? They've all the, 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 literally. That's it. That, that's interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. I know. That literally, literally, the trans experience is more of a white experience. That only the, the only I white mean, people. That's who, what. That's that is that is the myth. That only white people and rich white people can like contemplate the identity changing their gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've been called, uh, you know, trying to be rich, white, privileged. I've heard that. I've also been told that the devil has infiltrated my family. Um, I've been told that we are um, detrimental to our kids um, and that not only am I, but my kid is sick and um, twisted and dangerous. I tell you, Pinnell is a is valedictorian of his class. He's an A student. <laughs> What specifically was your husband's reaction with all this? How did he? Ex-husband. How did he? Ex-husband. Okay. That's useful information. Um, so, how, did, how did that go? How right, that right, go? right. How did that land? So uh, my, my ex-husband is, my husband at the time is African from Ghana and white from Canada. So he's got a lot of um, Protestant tradition from Canada. His white mom and his father is black African. A lot of tradition, a lot of machismo, a lot of um, religion. It was really hard for him to say the word transgender. It was really hard for him to jump to this conclusion that what Penelope was experiencing was real. It was hard for him to even let go of the idea that maybe a few years later, Penelope will want to be seen as a girl. The people who loved Penelope the most also wondered the same thing. Is this a phase? Daddy thought, is this real? Are we doing more danger to say, to call it something so early on? And uh, when dad spent time with Penelope, left work to spend time with Penelope, to really get to know Penelope. Within months, he said, this is real. (laughs) And if we're going to save our child, we have to um, use the language that Penelope is asking us to use. So I think it was hard for him. I think he didn't understand it at first. But within, I would say, a year, uh, dad became 100% supportive. He does it in his own way. He's not an advocate. He's not on stage. He's not grabbing a microphone. 
he's not joining organizations, but he's never walked away from his kid. And he always uses the right pronouns. Talk to us a little bit about pronouns, because at this point, we should all write our pronouns down. Is that just as a supportive force? Um, is it for more clarity? You know, I, um, I'm not a stickler for doing things one way, but, you know, we have to practice this. So I literally stood in front of the mirror and practiced Penelope, he, Penelope, he, Penelope, just kind of re, mm-hmm. re um, jiggering my mouth. So the practice of getting used to calling someone by the right pronoun is important. Right. The practice of entering a room and just sort of understanding what is the general temperature. That's it. That's important. The practice of not necessarily doing it your way, but doing it the collective way. It's important. So if pronouns are the thing at the conference that I go to and we're all wearing them, I gladly wear them um, at home. Right. <laughs> I don't wear them. Penelope is not eating like right. transgender food at home. <laughs> we're just kind of, right. you know, right. oh, yeah. but in public, I think these things are important. Yeah. How would you explain the pronouns for people who don't understand it? Because a lot of people don't get it. And then a lot of people are afraid to ask because people are afraid to ask the wrong question and then be attacked. Well, I I say this all the time in my house. Who left their socks at the front door? Who left their garbage on the table? Who left their plates unemptied? (laughs) So I use there all the time. And we all we use we use there for people, for a person. We don't know who we're talking to. We use it all the time. Now, when we visualize someone, so so grammatically, we've done it. We do it every day, taking out the gender in pronouns. But when we visualize mm-hmm. someone, that's when it gets hard. Right. I'm the I'm guilty of that too. I had to practice in front of the mirror. And I tell people, look, the pronoun thing, we do it subconsciously, but consciously our gender gets in the way. The way we the way we see gender, it gets in the way. Just practice. No big deal. And guess what? I screw up with my kid all the time. I still, as much love as I have, as much respect, I, I misgender by um, just by rote, like memory, just Penelope. She sometimes comes out of my mouth and I say, hey, right. you know, I respect you. You know, I love you. Stupid mistake. Sorry. And we move on. So like it's practice. It's from understanding that gender. We, we actually don't do it all the time. We don't gender every pronoun. Right. So Penel uh, is 13 now. Yeah, 13. And, and how would you describe his outlook now? Is he content? Does he look at it and go, my God, this, I'm so glad I did this. And, and there's a real satisfaction there. I think that Pinnell is um, very secure. Uh, he's a straight A student, as I said. He plays on sports. He's got good friendships. He's social. He enters in, in and out of spaces easily. And I think that's because he's never had to dwell on his gender and his identity. I've really stepped up in front as an advocate so he can just be a kid. Um, if you ask Pinnell what it's like to be trans and someone asked him this, he says, well, what is it like to be human? <laughs> right. So he's not yeah. um, fully aware. And this is intentional of the political ramifications and the political backdrop of right. what's happening. Right. But I'll tell you, he understands he's trans, will tell you, um, is used to millions of people seeing his videos and his books and his stories. But that's not weighing him down. His first identity is is athlete. His first identity is brother. Right. Right. What advice do you have for other parents who are about to, or in the midst of uh, experiencing this? The biggest thing is to widen your friend group. If your kid is the only one you know that fits this description of trans or gender nonconforming, it's going to be super hard and confusing. So Pinnell was the only trans person I knew. I had to go and make myself a part of a larger community. So I have adult trans friends, trans teen friends, young trans kids, doctors 
who are trans, teachers, educators, you have to win your community so your kid does not feel isolated and you don't feel isolated. And what about what would you say to parents that do not have trans kids, don't know anyone who's trans, (laughs) and how can we be supportive to people that we may not even come across, but just changing the way that we think about things? Such a great question because that's the majority of us. Um, And I would just ask that you stay close proximity to my family. I mean, I actually have videos that have 11 million views and books that I've put out and TED Talks. If you can just watch us and stay close to us, the proximity to me and to Penelope could possibly change the way you vote and the laws that you endorse and just your feeling. I mean, I'm not, um, I don't do this as a vanity project. I do, I, I share my family because I want you to, to see us and love us so that you don't vote against us. I mean, it be, it's personal and then it's political. So if you don't know any trans people, come take a look at my family. We're here for you. Get to know us, you know? That's, that's great. And that's this is a beautiful thing about social media. We t- yeah. often talk about the negatives about social media. But the beautiful thing is you get to see other people's humanity that might have a completely different story. And just because you don't connect with that story doesn't mean that it shouldn't be valued and it shouldn't be something that you go out of your way to support. You know, as a mom, if we don't stand for diversity and safety, what what do we stand for as, as, as moms, right? I don't think that most of the people who I interact with and who follow me and who have read about me, they don't have trans kids and most of the women aren't black. Um, but we find similarities as moms raising kids who are different. That's the hard part. And you can substitute many things for that different. Thank you so much. This was Thank really, you very really much. great. Really yeah. appreciate your I appreciate your time. Your time. Thank you so much. One of the most powerful moments for me of this conversation was that when I went into this conversation, I had that idea that I was going to talk to her because I'm always, I'm nervous about pronouns. I, I want to get it right. I mean, I'm, I don't ever want anyone to feel that I'm not seeing them and I'm not celebrating who their spirit is. And what I learned, I mean, I saw that book behind her and it was born ready and I just realized, I said, it really is. And she talked about how gender is in the brain. It's Pinnell was always there. Pinnell was was always a boy. And it's all of us that had to transition around Pinnell. Pinnell's spirit was always a boy. And to have that moment of understanding that. And for me, who I think that I'm, I'm very tapped into these things. It's something, again, that, I mean, I'm, this is my very big a part of my friend community. Um, and, but I'm constantly trying to learn and, and, and figure out more and see how I can, you know, be an advocate and be, and be supportive. But that was a really big learning experience for me today. What I found really compelling was how centered this woman came across and how generous and how, uh, uh, loving she was about this experience. I mean, a lot of people, I know some people, not many, who their children have transitioned, and it's been uh, an incredibly painful part of their life. They did not know how to deal with it. They viewed it as something that was just unacceptable. And here comes someone like Jody Patterson, who I would venture to say has as healthy and as positive and as constructive attitude about this a dynamic as anybody I've ever listened to in my life. She's a mother, and what she cares about is mother. But she's also a very special person. I she's think. a very special person, yeah. 
And but it is that mother mama bear instinct, I think, that really shines through with her. I mean, not everybody does it that way. I think I think I was trying to quote this in the actual and I know Alec bear with me, um, but in the in the actual interview is the Khalil Gibran poem on, on children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backwards nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite. He bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves the bow that is stable. Always good to go out on a little Khalil Gibran. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And share the show with your friends and help us grow. We'll talk to you guys next week.